This is a picture of the magic carpet. I suspect none of you would know what that means. It's a pathway in northern Michigan that runs a few miles through the woods, and it was carved by Indians. They would go to Lake Michigan and get the ice out of the lakes and drag the ice back to where they lived. And over time, this beautiful path was carved. It's long. It goes up and down over hillock and dune, and it seems idyllic. And so we take our kids on the walk there. These are our grandkids now. And we took our own kids there. For almost 30 years, we've been walking this path. And um, we walk it because it has a great payoff at the end. But along the way, we teach a lesson, and that is we don't tell the kids where it ends. And so while they walk it, they get tired. Their feet get sore. They tend to wear sandals and forget that rocks get in your shoes. And there's a lot of complaining. Of course, we make bear sounds, and there's bears, and there's things like that can, that can eat you. Um, we've never run into one. The worst thing we've seen is a bobcat. We sent the kids out there once, and Luke came home last the other kids abandoned him as soon as they saw the bobcat. And four-year-old Luke had to... He didn't have to fight it himself, but it almost came to that. But the point is, the path is... is it, it, it starts with all this promise and this happiness, but it's just too long for kids under 10. But it ends here. And only when they see that do they say, yeah, let's do it again. And the magic happens because you know the ending. But the paths we're on are kind of like this, right? In Genesis 37, we start the amazing technicolor journey of Jacob. I'm sorry, Joseph, who's leaving his father, Jacob. But along that path, and he's put on that path because his brothers hate him. And the path Joseph is going to travel is horrid. It's difficult. It would cause most people to quit. It feels like the path Jesus walked. And so I want to encourage you to, anybody you know on a path, not only yourself but someone else, bring them with you to worship. This next part of Genesis will change lives. So let's begin philosophically. And I know your kids are with you, but I'm going to keep this. I hope this teaching is simple. And I'm going to begin with a question. Has anything that someone else or something else will talk about how these things come to us, but is anything meant for evil against you been redeemed into good for your life? You could say that about cancer. You could say that about job loss. You could say that about sickness. You could say that about marital difficulty. All kind of things, including uh, how we're born, how we're raised. But has anything meant for good? Do you have an experience of anything meant for evil that's been redeemed for good in your life? I hope you do. Now, let's talk categories. Evil and pain. 
They're real. We feel them. We probably experience them and, and, and remember them sometimes more than anything else. But they're two different experiences. Evil and pain are different. Evil leads to pain. But for example, some evil we experience as pleasure. Agreed? And we think it's a good thing while we're experiencing it. We don't realize it's killing us. Agreed? Pain? Mm, I don't know. And likewise, though, some pain and suffering later brings blessing. You ever had a surgery? Or discovered something about yourself that was painful to discover, but in discovering it, you joined the humanity who has a Savior named Jesus, and you realized, I, as I yield this to Christ, there's blessing. There's change and difference. This is stuff that, remember, we're disciples. We're pilgrims on a journey. Jesus is building emotional and physical and spiritual health into us even as our bodies die. This is where it happens. You and I making decisions in our brain and thinking deeply about things so that our actions are deliberate. Evil and pain are not the same thing. And some experiences of pleasure that you and I are embracing right now are actually evil and will hurt us and others. Likewise, some pain we experience in turning away from evil even, will bring blessing. Now, here's how evil and sort of the problem of suffering can be understood. Some evil, some suffering is brought on us because others hate us and mean to harm us. Agreed? That's one. Some is brought upon us by accident, by neglect. Joel and Sherry Albrandt are still dealing with pain and suffering because somebody just didn't look when they pulled out. They didn't meant, mean to harm them, but harm them, he did. Some evil and pain is a consequence to the evil we've done. It comes back on us. We reap what we sow. And some comes via natural or supernatural. There's a devil, remember, who hates us because he hates God. And some pain and suffering in our world is the result of a natural world where our ignorance doesn't tell us where the volcanoes are or how to deal with the hurricanes. And even though we can come into knowledge, we're still suffering. Case in point, disease, virus. It's a world we still don't control, though we like to tell ourselves we do. We don't. Nor do we fully understand it or even really mostly understand it. But all of it, remember, all of it, whatever its cause, happens within the sight, within the care, and within the apparent allowance of a good God. Amen? You with me? He allows this to be. Why? I'm not God. But why then evil and pain and suffering? Here's my understanding of it. Because a good God in this we've studied already in Genesis. Because a good God made us a people with true self, meaning a true self, a true personhood, a personality, has the ability to be separated from other personalities and to be separated from his creator with a true self and a true will. God had to appeal to Eve's will. Eve, here's the one tree you can't have. Here's all the ones you can. Don't go here. Live here. 
Why would he say that if she didn't have the option to live here? And, and, and she and Adam chose to do the one thing they shouldn't have done, which is part of our nature, amen? And why we suffer, and why our world suffers, and why we live in ignorance. Why God had to say, where are you? He didn't have to say, where are you, when they were in fellowship and connection. They would have gotten the reports about the hurricanes and the way the earth works. They were being told all of this stuff, but they said, no, nah, no, nah, we'd rather have it our way, and that's the human curse. We would, and we do, and we suffer. But a good God made us because he gave us true wills. Without a true will, then love and not love are not possible. Does that make sense? If I say you have to love this person, then I'm, not, I'm dealing with a slave. I'm not dealing with a true person or will. Love demands, it, 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 it implies, for me to love someone implies the same decision could be said to not love someone. God appeals to us, but we have the freedom not to love him. There's a consequence to not loving him, but there's freedom to not loving him. And there's a consequence to loving God, loving yourself, and loving your neighbor. We have wills that can run to or from God. Therein lies the answer to why is there suffering. We are a people warned about boundaries. We're invited to relationship, but free to walk past those boundaries and into self, into temptation, failure, ignorance, injury, pain. And death is actually a mercy. Because even death need not be seen as evil. Though, for many, it's the, it's the ultimate evil. But it's not evil if it's been redeemed. And the one symbol of our faith is a cross where that happened. Now, Genesis tells this story. Genesis begins the great unfolding story of God's plan of redemption to appeal to a people with will and self and now misery to return. And that appeal is met with, oh sure, oh sure, but inability to return. And so a family is made. It begins in a good creation where part of the good is the free-to-walk-away person. It shows the universality of sin and brokenness of man from God and self. But the plan of redemption begins in that broken people. God says to Abraham, go to where I send you. I'll make you a people. And from this people, I'll, build a, I'll, I'll, I'll um, bless all nations of the earth. Because this people, this family, where there's intermarriage and struggle and just weirdness, is the family of man created to illustrate the problem. The problem of human will and selfishness and self-determination. But it's all God's plan to bring about the conditions that make triumph over evil in all its forms... Sin in all its manifestations, triumph over death, redemption. All of this is God's plan to show the redemption in Jesus. Amen? Our suffering should point us to the king, the suffering servant, Jesus. Joseph, his journey is a, I call it shadowy template. Joseph's not perfect, but he's one of the 
Christ figures that you and I should begin to think of what Jesus perfects. He's a foretaste of the meal, right? Jesus is the full meal. He, he is, accomplishes our salvation because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the sinless one. Joseph is a sinner. But his journey looks a lot like the journey of Jesus. And it looks like the journey you and I are on. Because he'll confront the same stuff you and I are living with today. The prisons he goes to represent the prisons we find ourselves in. Am I, am I, am I, is this helpful? I want to build up this story so that you take it seriously. His is a journey worth walking along with. His is one heck of a magic carpet ride. So let's do it. Now here's the story. God came to Abraham. Said, I'll make a nation through Sarah. Not, not through Hagar, but Abraham's sin caused suffering. Ishmael's suffering was caused by Abraham's inability to follow God. The suffering we see in Jerusalem today is the sons of Ishmael fighting the sons of Isaac and Jacob. That's it. I mean, we're not making it. This is, the, this is the story of the family of man. Through Rebekah, he had Jacob, meaning he laughed. It's a miracle, Jacob's birth. I'm sorry, Isaac's birth. And then to Jacob through Rebekah. <laughs> Jacob and Esau were brothers. We talked about how Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob had four women through whom he had 12 sons and at least one daughter. Probably more daughters, but the daughter we know about is Dinah. But these are the 12 tribes of Israel represented in these 12 men, all of whom desperately need a savior. But this family leads us genetically and spiritually to Christ. And that's the point. Now, here's how it goes. In Genesis 37, Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, and when you talk about the people of Israel, you're talking about the descendants of Jacob. He lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of his family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, the 11th son of Jacob, the son of his favorite wife, we'll get into that, was tending the flocks with his brothers. All these brothers are much older. The sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So let's review. Jacob has two wives, one is his favorite, and two concubines. From them, 12 boys. I would guess that you understand that if you had a favorite wife, you're going to have trouble in your family. And a favored son from your favorite wife the other brothers are going to think, I mean, how many families act this way and it's just you and your wife or wife and husband, right? My kids will tell me, oh, Luke's the favorite. Lindsay. Luke will say, Lindsay's the favorite. Ian will say, I'm lost. No, but, you know, I'm joking around, but that's, that's what kids said when they were seven. And Lori and I were the same parents. What if we had that? Oh, I can't imagine it. Some of you live this. You've tried to blend families. You're letting God redeem your lives, but those, those relationships are still tough. I get it. Hopefully this is encouraging to you, not discouraging. This is what people do. There's a way for it to be redeemed is my point. Well, Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph says, hey, hey Dad, the, the boys aren't doing a good job. He brings a bad report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. 
We don't know if it was a robe of many colors or a robe with sleeves, but Joseph made, I'm sorry, Jacob Israel made his son Joseph some sort of robe that stood out. He put a special beanie on his head, right? He, he, he said, here's precious boy. You're, you're different than your brothers. Oh, that went over with the brothers. When his brothers saw that their father loved him, that is Joseph, more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak to him. Not a kind word. This is a family in trouble. Joseph had a dream. It gets worse. And his dreams are how God talks to him. And prior to the word of God and to people without the word of God, God will communicate in dreams. I think he, can, he might communicate to you in dreams. I hope that it lines up with the word of God. But to this day, why the church in Iran and Afghanistan are growing so rapidly, there's many reasons, but one of them is the people are seeing a man in white. This, we saw this in Egypt in the 1990s. The church in Egypt was exploding in growth because Muslims, as they were praying, would see a man in white, and it was Jesus. And it caused them to seek out churches and to read their Bible. Islam is ripe for ministry. It's why the EPC, our denomination, one of its main mission focuses is to Muslims. It's why we send people to Detroit. And, and it's not our efforts, it's dreams. We're looking for people who've had the dream. Well, God speaks to Joseph in dreams. Well, he has a dream. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain, those long, tall sheaves. The version of the, of the square bales. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gather around mine and bow down to it. <laughs> you hearing me, boys? His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? They knew what he was saying. He's just repeating the dream. In the same way that Esau did not appreciate what God was up to, but Jacob did. So his brothers, they can't imagine God's going to... See, that's how Jesus was treated. The Jews could not imagine that God was speaking through Joseph's son, the carpenter. They just, they, you're blaspheming. You can't be God. And the brothers are saying, and, and I, we get why. I tell you, if I'd have heard Jesus speak, if I'd have had any standing in the world, I probably would have been among those who spit on him. Have you ever thought that? You don't think that about yourself, do you? I do, and I hope you do. If I'd have been poor and, and he'd been singing my tune and showing me how he's redeeming things, I probably would have believed in him and hoped in him. But if I had any standing in that culture, anything to lose, I probably would have saw Jesus as a threat. Fair? Well, Jake, Joseph is showing the people his dream, and they see it as a threat. So they hated him all the more. Then he had another dream. He told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Oh, come on. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Because his father, while not perfect and not even obedient, understood that God does stuff like this. So understand, this is really difficult, but everything he's saying in his dream is going to come true. 
Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, the city that they had just destroyed because Dinah was raped there. And Israel said to Joseph, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks. Bring back word to me. So he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. After a little bit, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. Oh, look, here comes Joseph. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. He's not around his dad. This, this is fascinating plan. Here comes Dreamer Boy. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. You realize how that sounds like what they did to Jesus, by the way? Let's kill this guy. He's going to mess up our deal here. You on the cross. Let's see if your God saves you now. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern. (laughs) I'm, I'm down with that. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him. Because he wanted to take him back to his father. Reuben's intentions are good. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. Isn't it fascinating? Dad gave him this robe that marked the sun, and they realized if we just take the robe covered in blood back to dad, he'll realize the sun was devoured. It's evil. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Who else was stripped of his robe? Isn't this fascinating? See, God put this stuff in here. So a Jew in the year 30, when he saw Jesus, would see it. All of this scripture was buried at Qumran. All of this scripture was part of the Bible of the Jew in 300 and 200 and 100 BC. God did this to bless the world. You and I are in this story. And we're to see a shadow of the Jesus to come. But when Jesus comes, then it makes sense. On this side of Easter, we look back and we say, Wow, God, how deliberate are your actions. Joseph suffered for me. Amen? As did Jesus. So they they take off his robe. They throw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. It's just a pit. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw the caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. Interesting. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Now, you ever been in a pit? What's the difference between a pit and a tunnel? You ever thought about that? That's pretty good. What's the difference? Tunnel just has another end on it, another out. Any pit you've been in, you got out of, wasn't a pit. It was a tunnel. And tunnels get you somewhere, amen? This is good. Act like you're hearing me. It's good. It's truth. You may be in a pit. Call out to God, he'll make it a tunnel. Even death, the grave, is a tunnel. Amen? Don't be claustrophobic about being dead if you love Jesus. You ain't going to be there. Amen? Start amening me. It helps me. It helps you. Let it out. It's good. Praise God. 
Praise God. This is truth. This is where you should bring your neighbors to hear truth. Uh, uh, send them a, a link to the sermon. They need this. You and I need this. They sat down to their meal. They looked up and they saw these Ishmaelites. Let's sell them. What do we gain? I love this. Evil gets even eviler. This is Hitler selling the hair from the people he's killed. Why just kill him? We could sell him. He's just as dead to us. Evil gets eviler. But the God who is over it all calls what Tolkien called you catastrophe. Right when it looks the worst, there's resurrection. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, same family, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Suddenly, pious covering of their sin. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, same as Ishmaelite, merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels. Who was sold for 30 pieces of silver, right? Who took him to Egypt? Who came out of Egypt? When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. Ah. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? And they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. So now Reuben's stuck. He's got to go along with the charade because he didn't intend for the boy to be killed. But the boy was, in his mind, killed all the less, not knowing that God is doing even more than Reuben can do. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine to see whether it's your son's robe. (laughs) He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And the brothers said, yeah, I guess that's right. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. See, all his sons and what? Daughters, more than Dinah, came to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. Jacob, who is Israel, really is, in many ways, faithless. And looking in the grave, he only saw death. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar. See, the pit became a tunnel. And the tunnel leads to Potiphar, which is going to seem like the answer till it turns into a pit. And that's going to be Joseph's path. It looks a lot like you're in my life. Victory, broken ankle. Yeah, I'm getting there. Long delay. Pain. Something goes wrong. That's the journey. We're headed. But listen, where are we headed? Where's the magic carpet taking us? John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. Were it not so, I would tell you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. This thing ends well. But guess what? You're going to die before you get to the end of the path. But Jesus says, I will come and take you to be with me so that where I am, in the Father's presence, you will be also. That's where our path ends. So walk the journey knowing the payoff. Knowing to whom you belong. And knowing every pit and hillock you fall down at is a tunnel. And God will take you wherever you fall. Amen? What do we need for the trip? 
those children and grandchildren discover that I don't need much on this trip, and the more I take just makes the journey harder. I just need water, and it's pretty good if I have somebody to go with. What do we need for the trip of our lives? A lot less than we're dragging around right now. A lot less. Repent. Joseph is going to help us repent. Pack light. We're witnesses. We're a church. We're a family. As children of God, if you're a teenager, a single person, a dad, a mom, a child, a grandparent, a teacher, a nurse, a penguin farmer, uh, whatever it is, right? That was our line from last week. Whoever, Whoever you are, what you really are is a child of God on God's journey for you. And whatever you fall into, it's just a tunnel. You're headed home. And how do you ultimately know you're going to be there? Because Jesus says he'll do it for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, take us on this journey with Joseph, that we might see in Joseph a brother who was led in the same way you're leading us. And our only hope is in Jesus, who took that journey, that three-day journey ahead of us, who went to the cross, forsaken for pieces of silver, his robe torn, his family rejecting, called a blasphemer, a liar. And yet he was the one sent by you to redeem us so that we would come to realize, Lord, even in our freedom, we have run from you. But there is this this Savior saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And oh, Lord, we run to you. And I pray right now for somebody who this is just making sense to right now. Father God, would they, by saying, Lord Jesus, I run to you, know that they are saved. And by saying it, Lord, help them open to someone who can be on that journey with them. Share this truth that you've been rescued. Jesus, you're here right now rescuing. Rescue. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.